for leading us in worship. Let's, uh, let's just lift it up, uh, show, show them our appreciation one more time for the kids. And if you helped out in any way with Kids Worship Camp this last week, I'd like you to stand up and let's all uh, express our appreciation to those who volunteered. We want to especially thank Pam Bristol and and Lainey um, for your work and uh, everybody. Here you go, brother. There's There's your music. Well, we have been going through, if you're a guest, we welcome you. We've been going through the book of Jonah as a church these last couple of months. And of course, the kids have done a good job this morning summarizing the whole story of Jonah for us. Jonah is somebody that we might call an anti-hero. Well, we all know what a, a hero is. In our own culture, our culture has long been fascinated with heroes. One of the earliest superheroes in American culture was Superman, right? Superman was from another planet, uh, a superior species of creature who came to Earth with great power that he had here on our planet, but he used his power to save people. Now, he was misunderstood. He even got persecuted, and at least one movie, he gave his life so that others may live, and he rose from the dead. Now, where do you think they got the idea for that superhero story? From the real hero, Jesus Christ. So we know what a hero is. What is an anti-hero? Well, an anti-hero is not a pure hero, but is also not really a villain either. So I was trying to figure out, well, what is the actual definition of anti-hero? So I turned to Wikipedia, which says, an anti-hero is a main character in a story who lacks conventional heroic qualities and attributes such as idealism, courage, and morality. Although anti-heroes may sometimes perform actions that are morally correct, it is not always for the right reasons, often acting primarily out of self-interest or in ways that defy conventional ethical codes. Well, our culture started out with a great love of heroes, but as time has gone on and as our society has become a little bit more cynical, we've shifted towards anti-heroes that are heroic and yet a little more selfish, a little less moral. And suddenly our heroes today, and we've got a lot of movies that have come out recently, look a more, little more like anti-heroes. And it's not only in the superhero genre. Think about Western films. A lot of times Western films have an anti-hero protagonist. Think of For some of you kids who are maybe a little bit older and of the male race, you might think of Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name from the Spaghetti Westerns, from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, Jonah is an anti-hero prophet of the Old Testament. He's an anti-hero that we've learned over the last few weeks we can certainly identify with because the whole book of Jonah ends quite abruptly as if it's really about us. And even though Jonah was flawed, I'm going to argue this morning that Jonah, the prophet, the anti-hero, points us to Jesus Christ in many ways. We might think, I've been paying attention these last couple weeks, and Jonah's really not that great of a character here. How can this disobedient, even racist, and hateful prophet 
possibly point to Jesus? Well, first of all, all Scripture points to Jesus. Even the minor prophets of the Old Testament point to Jesus because Jesus Christ stands and towers even as the central figure of history. And he's the central figure of the entire Bible. But secondly, Jesus himself explicitly made the connection between Jonah and himself. And I can actually think a lot of ways in this story that Jonah points to Jesus. But this morning we don't have a whole lot of time. So I'm going to give you three ways. And these three ways that Jonah points us to Jesus Christ are increasing in their order of similarity and significance. And I invite you, if you'd like, to follow along in the listening guide in your, in your bulletin. Uh, these are listed out as well as some of the supporting texts that we're going to use this morning. And by the way, uh, we welcome all of you guests, but I want to especially welcome Phil and Christiana Brand. It's great to see you guys here this morning. Be sure that you greet them after the, after the service if you haven't already. Um, serving faithfully in Prague, they're, they're back just for a week or two. So I think just for one more week, right? Are you here next Sunday too? Or this is it. So make sure you grab them and, and, uh, and, and hug their necks before they get out of here today. Well, the first way that Jonah points us to Jesus is his acceptance or lack thereof, of the mission that God gave to him. Some of you may recall the Mission Impossible movies in which the special agent Ethan Hunt receives a mission. It's not exactly impossible because he pulls it off, but it seems impossible. And then he is given the choice to accept or reject the mission. Bear in mind that this mission that God called Jonah to was not a safe mission. Being a Christian, by the way, is not supposed to be entirely safe in this lifetime. But it is entirely safe for eternity. In this regard, Jonah was not much like Jesus. Both Jonah and Jesus received what we might call impossible missions. Jesus accepted his. Jonah did not. In fact, Jonah ran as quickly and as far away as possible. He was on a boat headed to Tarshish. The city of Nineveh was east of Israel. Tarshish was on the outer rim of the, of the known world, all right? Uh, in modern-day Spain, we think, somewhere in southern Spain, maybe near Gibraltar. So Jonah was moving as fast and as far as possible from the mission and from the God who gave him that mission. We read in Chapter 4, that Jonah was not only motivated by fear. Now certainly the Ninevites were known as cruel people. In fact, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, would be considered what we might call today a terrorist state. All right, Anybody who would go to them with a, with a, a word calling them to repent, it was at their own peril. But what we read here in chapter 4, verse 2, that more than his own safety... Jonah was concerned and afraid that God might actually relent of his judgment against his enemies in the event of mission success. So Jonah actually feared the Ninevites hearing this message and repenting and God relenting more than Jonah feared for his own skin. That's what Jonah says in verse 2 of chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste 
to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, nationalism and hatred kept Jonah from accepting his mission. So he ran. He did not want to see God extend mercy to his enemies. Jonah ran away from a dangerous mission to save his enemies. But Jesus, the true hero, ran towards a surely fatal mission to save his enemies. Jesus Christ set his face to the cross. And he died to reconcile his enemies to God. Now I want to underscore the point this morning that Jesus understood his mission well before he got to the cross. Jesus shared with his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 28, his whole purpose in coming to this world. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now consider how Jesus accepted his mission way long ago. Now I mean long, long, long ago. I mean if, if Jesus, who is the Son of God, i.e. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, all right, is omniscient. That means in eternity past, right? That's a way of saying way, 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 way long ago, way back before we can even imagine there being such thing as time, Jesus understood that he was going to come to earth, lower himself to become a human, show us the way, and then give his life on a cruel Roman cross so that we might be forgiven of our sins, so that our sins may be atoned for, so that we may have a path to God, so that we may have a relationship with God through faith. So how did, how did Jesus, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, how did Jesus spend eternity past, billions and billions and billions of years, right? As well as his own lifetime on this earth, knowing what was coming. How did he do it? I mean, emotionally, how did he do that? Because I can tell you this, if, if I knew that a really bad day was coming in advance, I mean, I'm glad I don't know the future, right? I'd have a hard time finding joy every day. Well, how did he do it? And I think that there's some evidence in the Gospels that as the cross drew near, as he walked closer to Calvary, Jesus became more somber, right up to the Garden of Gethsemane, in which he sweat. His sweat was like drops of blood. And he cried out, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So how did he do that? Jesus is our hero, that means he's our role model, that means we're supposed to take up our own crosses and follow after him, so I want to know, how did he do it? Well, we read in scripture that he did it ultimately for the joy that was set before him. He looked to the future beyond the cross. Hebrews 12 tells us that we should follow Jesus, it says in verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which sings, that, that clings so closely 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus accepted the mission. That's the first way that he points us, or that Jonah points us to Jesus. Uh, Jonah who ran away from it, Jesus ran straight to it. And the second way that Jonah points us to Jesus is self-sacrifice so that others may live. And in this regard, Jonah was kind of like Jesus. In verse 12, Jonah instructed the imperiled mariners, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Okay, now we need to remember that this wasn't exactly the best option for Jonah. Okay, Um, Jonah was running from God on a ship. And God, because not only of his love for the Ninevites, but because of his love for his runaway prophet, pursued him with a storm. Now we've considered in weeks past that it is actually... A dangerous thing to run from God. Especially if you're his child, the Lord disciplines his children. And basically the principle is the more of a knucklehead you are, the more extreme God's measures to get you back. So don't be a knucklehead, all right, like Jonah, and run from God. But his best choice would have been at that point, right? The storm is battering the ship. It's starting to break up. The the mariners are, are throwing their cargo overboard. They're calling out to their gods. They're waking Jonah up begging him to call out to the true God of heaven. His best choice at that point would have been to go up on deck and have a conversation with God of repentance. Simply to say, all right, I get it. I'm sorry, I'll go to Nineveh. That would have stopped the storm right there. All right, but Jonah actually preferred death over duty. Okay, over the, he really didn't want to do this mission right to Nineveh. He really had an issue with these Ninevites, something that we certainly can understand, okay? But still, it was disobedience to God. But still, despite this hardness of heart, we get the sense that Jonah had finally relented of his indifference towards the plight of his shipmates. Remember, there's a lot of irony in this book. Uh, If you were a Jew back in, you know, several thousand years ago reading this book, this would really mess with you because The good guy, the Jew here, is really the bad guy. And the bad guys, these pagan sailors, these Ninevites, end up being the more noble people in this story. Because God is messing with them as he would also maybe want to upset our apple cart a little bit. Because we too can end up having a hard time loving our enemies. Right? And thinking, well, God is on our side. Or we serve God as long as we understand him and he does our bidding. As opposed to him being God and we doing his bidding. But still there's this sense that finally Jonah had relented of his indifference towards the plight of his pagan shipmates. Their valiant efforts for the common good had finally made a mark on him. And there's a sense that he actually noticed their attempts and they had made several attempts to preserve his life. I mean he could have said to them, he could have decided, hey, 
I'm going down with the ship, right? He could have simply said, hey, keep sailing, okay? The extent of Yahweh's turf is just another 10 miles. But instead, he told them to throw him overboard. So in a real sense, Jonah did offer his life as a sacrifice for theirs. You see, the sea represented death to the ancient Jews. And it's certain that Jonah did not expect to survive his pitch into the sea. But his sacrifice indeed saved the lives of the crew and all on board his ship. So Jonah does get a little bit of credit here for some level of self-sacrifice for a people that he formerly would have looked down on as enemies or at least as inferior, these Phoenician Gentile pagan sailors. So Jonah gets a little credit on point two. Jesus gets it all. He gets all of our, of our credit. He gets all of our worship for he volunteered to give his life as a ransom for his enemies. You might think, well, wait a minute. What, what enemies? Well, in Romans 5, we learn in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, all of us are in the same boat as the Ninevites and the pagan sailors and Jonah. We were God's enemies. You may think, well, no, that can't be true. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, pretty, I'm a pretty nice guy, right? Or I, you know, I've, I've volunteered my time this, this last week. Um, abusers deserve to be locked up. Volunteers deserve a hug for the time that they invest, and that's true. And certainly not all people are equally evil, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, and I encourage you to turn there with me if you will, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, all of us, young to old in this room, all of us have rebelled against God. We have sinned against a holy God and basically said by that, I prefer my own way than to serve you. All of us have, all of us have offended a God who is holy and therefore were positionally enemies of God before we came to know him. Or if you're sitting in this room and you're not a Christian, categorically that means you are an enemy of God. Well, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, through his heroic self-sacrifice, showed us the heart of God for his very enemies. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life life. Now I love being a pastor in a military community. 
I have a high level of respect for our women and men in the armed forces. Yesterday, I was watching a couple videos on YouTube, and I watched a couple videos about the PJs. You know, the PJs are the para-jumpers, Air Force Special Operations Command guys. And you know, if you're in the Air Force, or frankly, other, another branch of the military, and if you're operating in a dangerous place, you may be flying an airplane, or you may be actually fighting on the ground behind enemy lines, and some of your buddies get shot up, or you get shot up, and you're in a bad spot, all right, there is a great element of hope, and that is the PJs. These guys will jump out of airplanes. They'll jump or rappel out of helicopters into the water or into the desert to come and get you and give you life-saving medical aid and get you home. And they'll do it in extremely hazardous situations. They'll give their lives for you. In fact, the motto of the PJs is, these things we do that others may live. I think that's awesome. Now here's the question. Where did they get that concept? Did they get it from a Darwinian evolutionary worldview? It's completely incongruous with that. The, the, the evolutionary worldview's motto is the survival of the fittest. The only thing we get from that perspective of life is selfishness. That you will never get the idea of laying down your life for someone else from that worldview. It leads to selfishness, not self-sacrifice. We get the idea to lay down your life or to, to, to go into a hazardous place so that others may live from Jesus, the ultimate sacrificial hero who gave himself on the cross so that we may live. You see, Jesus sacrificed his own body and blood for us. And that is our second point, the second way that Jonah points to Jesus' self-sacrifice. Well, the third way that Jonah points to Jesus, and in this regard, I would say, not to his own credit, but Jonah was a whole lot like Jesus, and that is the concept of resurrection. Resurrection from the dead, and Jesus is the one who actually drew this parallel in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And of course we read in the story, Jonah 2.10, after three days, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So there's a strong parallel here between Jonah and Jesus. In fact, there's some scholars who actually think that Jonah died in the belly of the fish. And again, as we read earlier, as we heard earlier, we don't know if this is a whale. That's kind of the, the um, mythology. Maybe. Uh, it could have been a megalodon for all we know. Some kind of aquatic animal. The actual Hebrew word means giant aquatic animal that God had specifically prepared to be able to get Jonah in, on the right path where he was supposed to go. So some scholars actually think that Jonah would have died in the, in the belly of the, of the great fish. Certainly human beings cannot live uh, inside the belly of any kind of great fish, as we know, for more than a few minutes. Uh, I shared with our church several months ago that uh, there are stories from early 1900s uh, from Nantucket whalers who actually did chase down whales that had swallowed comrades who had lived up to 20 minutes inside by the time they pulled them out. They had some PTSD for a few weeks and then eventually got back to work, believe it or not, on the ship. 
But you're not going to make it for three days, all right, breathing methane and surviving all the digestive enzymes that are going to be working on your flesh, right, inside the belly of a non-prepared whale by God. This is a miracle. It takes no greater faith to believe that God can specifically create a creature to sustain life for three days. It takes no, faith, no more faith at all than, than to believe that he made it all and designed everything exactly how he wants it. It's no, we don't have to check, check our brain at the door to believe this, right? God does as he pleases here in this world and, and in the rest of his creation. So a great aquatic animal swallowed uh, Jonah. Maybe Jonah died and maybe God actually brought him back to life when he spit him up onto the, onto the shore. Some people think that based on this text in Matthew. There would certainly be a parallel of death and then resurrection. However, I don't think that's super likely. When you look at Jonah's prayer of chapter 2 from the belly of the great fish, uh, it certainly doesn't seem like the sort of prayer that a man would pray with his last few moments as he's, as he's suffocating from methane, okay? Maybe, maybe he was that eloquent, I certainly wouldn't be, okay? But either way, what we see after three days, God brought Jonah out of the deep, out of the place that represented death and brought him back to life. So I think that Jonah's death here is metaphorical, but it pointed to Jesus' literal death, One thing's for sure, Jesus' resurrection experience was certainly cleaner than Jonah's being vomited up onto a beach. Now I want to make something really clear here. The story of Jesus' resurrection is not one of metaphor. It really happened in history. And it is absolutely foundational to the Christian faith. And so Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you, verse 3... As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And what this means is, if we are trusting that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, though we die... And that day is approaching for all of us. Some of us sooner than others. And frankly, none of us know. Though we die, we shall live. And by that, I don't mean metaphorically. Like, well, he's gone to a better place. I mean, he or she is alive. More alive than we are now. Because that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, O grave, where is your sting? Well, friends, believing in the resurrection of Jesus, that Jonah's being vomited out of the fish points us to, Okay, his, his coming back to life to fulfill the mission of God. Okay, his 
opportunity now to have a second chance. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus, who did triumph over death and come back to life, that is necessary for salvation. Romans 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now why do we, why do we throw that word salvation around? Well, it's because we need to be saved. We only have a certain amount of time on this earth. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. And by that, it's talking about eternal death, eternal judgment, eternal separation from God. Because of our sin, our rebellion, our enmity with God, his justice demands a price to be paid. So the wages of sin is death, is separation from God. But the good news of the gospel is the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's salvation. Just like if you're standing there in front of a, a, a truck, oblivious to what's coming, and this truck's barreling down on you, and, and your sister runs out and, and lunges and pushes you out of the way and gets nailed by that truck to save your life. The sacrifice of Jesus is no less of a salvation experience. But that is for people who are willing to believe in him, to repent of their own selfishness, and their own self-sufficiency, and to trust in him alone that he died on the cross, not just for the sins of mankind, but for their sins, for your sins, for my sins. And so if you are not saved, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure whether you truly are saved, I want to encourage you today to bow your heart. Bow bow your heart, just bow before the Lord and call out to him and, and ask him to save you. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord, that is Jesus, will be saved. And so some of my brothers here who are fellow pastors, fellow elders of the church, in the last song as we sing, they're going to stand at the front, a couple in the back. And if, you, if you'd like to talk to somebody more about this, we would love to share with you, to listen to your story, and to share with you more about how the story of Jesus can and will save you. Well, Jesus died on the cross He rose from the dead. He is alive and powerful to save everyone who trusts in him. So that death will not have the last word. We too will live forever with him. In the first chapter of Jonah, the anti-hero fell asleep in a boat during the storm. Perhaps the sleep of sorrow. On the Sea of Galilee... Our hero Jesus slept through a storm until his terrified disciples woke him up, crying out, asking him to save them. And he did. He saved their lives by calming the storm. Well, do you have storms in your life? Even if you think you don't right now, I promise you, you will. Storms are ubiquitous to all human beings. And there is a storm coming for all of humanity. All of humanity that's outside of Jesus Christ. There's a storm of God's wrath. So flee that storm. Call out to the Savior, to the Lord, to the true hero, Jesus Christ. And he will save you from that storm. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior, our Lord, our hero, Jesus, who volunteered for your mission to come and save people from every nation, from every race, from every language group. And he came and he sacrificed himself willingly, died on a cross, on a cruel Roman cross for us. But death did not hold him back. He rose from the dead on the third day. And in him we hope. But Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not know Jesus, does not fully believe that Jesus died for their sins, hasn't bowed their knee before him and asked him to be their Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you would open the eyes of their heart. Lord, whether it be young or old, work in our midst. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters who've known you for a long time, Lord, I pray that love would not go cold. Help us to never yawn at the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would refresh in our hearts the meaning of your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.